Welcome to AFT in Action, a podcast for members of AFT Connecticut-affiliated local unions. We're approximately 30,000 working people in the public and private sectors, teachers and school support staff, nurses and healthcare workers, higher education faculty and public employees in nearly 90 unions across the state. The series provides a deeper dive into issues impacting our members and our movement as part of AFT Connecticut's engagement and communications efforts. Welcome back, sisters and brothers, to the latest episode of AFT in Action. My name is Jan Hockadell, and I'm the president of AFT Connecticut. My co-host for this discussion is David Hayes, our State Federation Secretary-Treasurer. So David, you were elected this past spring, but you're not new to union leadership. You've been a member of our executive committee since 2011, which I think is when we started working together. So I asked David to join me today because he is a teacher and has served for nine years as the president of his local representing teachers in the Bristol Public Schools. And all that while still working full time as an elementary school teacher. I'm so glad that you could make the time to join me here for this latest podcast. Glad to be able to do it, Jan. I'd have accepted your invitation regardless of the subject, but this one is close to my heart. So this latest podcast episode is the last of the three discussions on workplace violence. And David, I know you've been working with AFT on this for years. Exactly, Jan. In part one, you and your guest put the issue in context and talk broadly about assaults on the job. Then in the last episode, you sat down with our VP, John Brady, and his representative in Congress. The focus was on violence in hospitals and health settings. Right, and there's an important update since that episode uh, went live. Representative Joe Courtney was able to successfully get his federal legislation to require a workplace violence standard passed in the U.S. House. It's a huge accomplishment, and thanks in part to our union members here in Connecticut and across the country for getting behind it. That is great news. Hopefully it creates momentum for parallel efforts to get protections in place for educators in our schools. Exactly, David. That's why we've invited a member of the Connecticut General Assembly who's worked on classroom safety to sit down with us. Doug McCrory has represented the Hartford area in the state legislature since 2005, and most recently as a senator for the 2nd District. And many of our members know Doug as a union brother. That's because he began his career in public education as an elementary teacher at Rawson School in Hartford. And that means he's part of the legislature's AFT caucus, where he's joined by two additional members of our Hartford Teachers Union. Doug, welcome to AFT in Action. And the General Assembly may be off season, but we also know you are a full-time educator, so we really appreciate your time. Thank you for having me and have an opportunity to discuss uh, such an important issue um, here in the state of Connecticut. And um, it's a holiday season, so this is time for giving back. So this is my opportunity to give back. Doug, let me say thank you for your work on this issue, which I've had a chance to witness firsthand. I've been a part of both the Classroom Safety Working Group and the Connecticut School Discipline Collaborative, and that's given me a chance to just see just how important these issues are to you. And I appreciate you putting that extra, extra work in, um, being on those two um, committees. Um, what many people don't realize is many of the laws that we have passed here, they normally don't come from us. They come from people out in the community, people who are concerned and advocates for certain issues. And for you to work um, on those two committees shows that this is very important to you. So before we discuss violence in public schools, let's get some background for our members um, on what brought you to the legislature, and particularly this fight. Can you share what inspired you to become a teacher? Wow, that's a great question. What inspired me to become a teacher? Well, um, after I finished my undergraduate degree, um, I went straight into graduate school. Um, um, and when I was in graduate school, I took the opportunity to go back to my middle school where I uh, attended and become a substitute teacher. Um, at the time, I think I was about 22, 23 years old, 
And actually, my experience was very positive working with young people. Um, they were about the ages of 12 to 14 at the time. So it wasn't like we we're too far away from each other. We liked some of the same things. Our mentalities were not the same, but I kind of understood them. So I went back and I completed my, my master's degree, which was in actually um, economics, business and economics. And I went into corporate America for the first year. Um, I was an underwriter at a large insurance company. I liked it, but I didn't love it. Um, I knew I wasn't gonna sit, a sit-behind-a-desk type of guy. Um, and I knew I needed to do a career change early. Um, so what I did was go back. Uh, I went through the art program, and I got certified. I think it was the second year of the art program. And I had an opportunity to go back to my middle school and the following year, and, and actually I started my career there. That's interesting, Doug. Uh, actually, I had a similar experience where I went back to my middle school after getting my undergraduate and yeah. uh, got me on the road to education. Uh, Jen mentioned the AFT Connecticut Caucus, which already includes several active and retired educators and is a group that's likely to grow. We just helped elect several more to municipal office earlier this month who would make great lawmakers in the future. Can you talk about why you chose to seek public office? That's another good question. Um, so about mid through my um, career as an educator, um, a friend of mine uh, decided to create a program within our middle school specifically designed trying to educate, pop, properly educate young men um, because what we were seeing that many, even though a lot of them were in school physically, mentally had turned, they, they, uh, turned around, you know, it wasn't really something they wanted, it was something they had to do. And the academic achievement levels of these young men, and since I was in Hartford, majority of the young men were African-American and um, uh, Latino. Um, at that time, uh, we wanted to expand our program. We didn't get the opportunity. The first time I came to the Capitol, we were told no, no, no. Um, then I realized that, man, if I want to really make change in this um, business, this world education, uh, it's very political. Uh, so therefore, I had the idea of running for office, but not the drive and the motivation to do it. Um, but I knew at some point, if I really want to make effective change, I had to be in office. So. Eventually, I talked to a number of people in my community who were very supportive of the idea, and uh, I got cold feet initially. Um, and one of the people I look up to to this day, you know, when you tell somebody, you know, no, and you know you let them down, mm -hmm. you know, I looked them in the face and I was like, man, this person invested a lot of me. He really believes in me. These people in this community really believe in me. And, I, and if I let them down, I, that's like, that's not the way I was raised. Um, so then I rethought it, went back. Um, two days later, I said, okay, I'm going to do it, and we jumped in the race. And um, I wound up winning three to one, which was unprecedented. The person that was in the seat was in the seat for close to 20 years. Um, but one of the things that really helped me get over the top uh, was the fact that uh, at that time in, in our city, all high school kids who were 18 or older, um, we registered them to vote. And um, I remember on Election Day, uh, young people uh, riding their bicycles to the polls saying they're coming to vote for their principal and I knew I was going to win after that. That's a great story Doug <laughs> and it's really a perfect example of what we mean when we talk about delivering the message labor is your neighbor. So let's talk a little bit about the workplace violence in schools and what's being done to protect educators and school support staff from violence on the job. So we at AFT recently joined our sisters and brothers um, at CEA to partner with Channel 3 News for a comprehensive teacher survey. The responses on the subject of violence were alarming. 50% reported being threatened by a student. 
two-thirds reported witnessing threats by a student on a classmate. Can you share from your perspective why, as a legislator, you feel it's critical to address this problem? I had an opportunity to see that same report, uh, but I didn't need to have to see that because, you know, I'm a, over 25 years in this, in this business of education. I've seen things change over time. I've seen uh, the climate change in schools over time, and um, clearly something has to be done. Um, so from my perspective, I think working together and coming up with a comprehensive plan that supports our teachers and also protects our children is something that uh, I've, I'm committed to trying to get done um, as soon as possible. With the work that you guys have done on your um, the two task force that you, uh, you mentioned earlier, I think a lot of great things came out of that. Now is just trying to figure out what's the best things we can pull from each of them and put something together that makes everybody comfortable. We appreciate that, Doug. As you know, our working group spent a great deal of time focused on solutions. One was a major proposal that you helped advance in the 2019 session, talking about the enhanced classroom safety and school climate bill your education committee passed. Unfortunately, it didn't make it all the way through the legislative process to become law. Can you talk about the proposal and what it would have done to protect school staff and support student learning? So that was a great uh, bill that we got out of the Education Committee, and I think it would pass uh, bipartisan support. Um, actually, most of our bills, up to 95% of our bills pass um, with bipartisan support unanimously. Actually, I don't think it got called at all in the House or in the Senate. Um, but what we're going to do is go back and look at, review it, um, see if we can enhance it a little better. I think one of the caveats that needs to be in place even more profound is the supports that uh, our young people need um, in the classroom, especially around the areas of, of mental health, um, I think, and, and, and trauma. Um, many of our young people come into the classroom with undiagnosed trauma and, and mental health conditions, and I know that our teachers are not prepared to handle that. I mean, I'm just thinking about my prep program or even in the, the pre-service teacher programs right now. I don't think enough emphasis is placed on that, and I think that's something that needs to be done. Um, but also, on the other hand, I think uh, we shouldn't leave that in the hands of our teachers. That's uh, the fact that we need specialists who work on those specific, specific um, concerns, like more social workers and um, behavioral health um, analysts, to be in our classrooms and be in our schools to support the work that our teachers are doing. Appreciate your thoughts on that, Doug. So let's broaden this just a bit and talk about um, why it's been so difficult to make progress. The 2019 proposal came about um, after working to get a similar measure passed the year before, and some lawmakers have been reluctant because of the budgetary uncertainty, and others seem to lack the political will to take on such a complex issue. What do you think is behind the inaction on keeping educators and support staff safe? That's a very good question, and you're absolutely right. I think. Um, because we put so many supports in place in the bill, um, the dollar value um, uh, increased the, uh, the bill's um, opportunity or chances to get passed in the last legislative session. Um, but I think now that um, many of my colleagues understand and realize the supports that are needed for our teachers and for our young people, um, the idea of getting these things done may get passed. I, won't, I don't promise everything, but I think it's to have a stronger opportunity to get passed. And one of the other things I will say that in the proposal before 2019, we had a proposal in 2018, many of my colleagues felt though some of the legislation was too punitive 
um, for for our children. And because of that, um, and not having the supports in place, um, that piece of legislation was not going to get passed. Um, so it was a trade-off. Um, so now we put the trade-off, we put the supports in place. Now it's, we just have to have the political will to get it done. Thank you, Doug. That brings us to the first of our members' questions. Colleen, a teacher from Glastonbury, sent her comments to our email inbox. She described a state of emergency in her schools that's largely the result of the district's unaddressed student mental health needs. Can you talk about the impact of mainstreaming students with mental health, developmental disabilities, or behavioral issues on school safety? Yeah, so um, as an educator, you know that all our students, um, when we see a sign or something or something that's taking place that's um, out of order, there's a process in place. Um, our students can be evaluated and they might go through a, um, a PPT process. And um, once that happens, you know, IEP is created. And with those IEPs, they're, they're laws that you have to follow. Uh, so the idea of um, combining the two te uh, students is just a fact of nature that it's going to happen. And you're going to have um, these students in our schools. Um, the, the concern is how do we support them? And secondly, one of the things I've learned um, when we talk about school climate and the things that are happening in our schools, many people will be surprised to find out that it's not the older kids that are having, or the older teachers who are teaching in our high schools. It's the younger schools, the younger age, uh, the elementary school, where many of the concerns are having. And if we can support teachers and uh, support individuals at an early age, we can change and correct the behaviors so that when our kids get older, those behaviors will go away if the supports are in place in early years. Unfortunately, when they go unchecked, the, stu the students continues in our school systems and they get older and the problems just compound themselves. So it's very important to put them supports in place in our younger years um, so that we don't have this process in the, in, in the future. Thanks for that, Doug. For those listeners who are not educators, PPT stands for Planning and Placement Team. That's a meeting that uh, would comprise the classroom teachers who work with a particular student as well as any support staff, the administration, and the parents. And IEP is an individual education plan, uh, an individualized plan for special education students. Thank you for that, David. So our final question is a good follow-up to Colleen's. We should also consider it in the context of another alarming response that came out of our survey. 60% of teachers reported that violence, or the threat of violence, makes them less eager to challenge or discipline students when necessary. So let's hear from Mary. She's a teacher in Easton who called into our podcast listener line. It's a challenge to balance the need for employee safety with the disparate treatment of students of color or those requiring special ed services. What are some of the ways we can strike that balance in our educational communities? We look at data. One of the things we do at, uh, at, up here at the Capitol, we analyze data within our school system. We notice that there's a desperate impact upon students of color when it comes to discipline. And that's the issue that's been going on for a number of years. I think there's a number of things we can do. Um, we got to check our biases at our doors when we come into our classrooms. I think that's extremely important um, for pre-service teachers and pe teachers who are, have experiences. I think another thing that's very important is to the, even the, the balance scale is we need to um, put people in place uh, who have very good relationships with kids and we need to diversify our teacher population. Um, not to say that just because a, a teacher is a person of color in the classroom, but all the research shows that 
um, those incidences of unusual um, behaviors are reduced when you're when our children are in front of a diverse teaching population. So I'll say those are two of the things that we can do to change the, um, the, the issues that we have with desperate treatment of students of colors in our classroom. And we also got to need strong leadership. Uh, we need people who see, when you see wrong, you must do something, say something about it. And we need to check behaviors of individuals unevenly um, providing discipline to students in our school systems. Thank you for that, Doug. Mary's question really reminds us why the solutions for achieving school safety have been so difficult to achieve up to now. Um, your thoughtful responses has me thinking that maybe we should plan our next or future podcast devoted to addressing some of those educational disparities too. We really appreciate you sharing your experiences and for answering our members' questions. And thank you too for hosting us at your legislative office here in, in Hartford. Oh, well, thank you and thanks for having me again. And I hope that um, your holidays are successful and we'll come back next year and get some good work done up here at the Capitol. David, thank you for joining me as a co-host. You brought a frontline perspective to school safety that was really helpful for this discussion. Jan, I truly appreciate the opportunity. Fighting workplace violence is a good example of what you and I in union is all about after all. Definitely. Finally, I want to thank you, our members, for listening to AFT in Action. I hope it was engaging because we'll need much more of that to win safer schools. Once again, I also invite your questions for the next episode, which will focus on solutions to the opioid crisis. Please send your comments by email to actnetreply at aftct.org. That's A-C-T-N-E-T-R-E-P-L-Y at sign aftct.org. Plus, you can leave a voice message by dialing 860-257-9782 and asking for extension 116. That's 860-257-9782, extension 116. I'm looking forward to your voice being heard. Thank you in advance for participating. That's a wrap for this latest edition of AFT in Action. Additional episodes are available at our Podbean page and social media channels, all of which can be found at aftct.org. Like what you heard? Then share with fellow members and encourage they give it a listen too, and help build the power of the UNI in union.